Hi, Lauren. Hi, Sam. Are you ready to talk about Oppenheimer? I am, because after all, we are the Watchers of Movies. I sound like Mrs. Doubtfire when I said that. Yes. How did you feel? Did you ever see that movie? Yes. Yeah. That movie like freaked me out as a kid. Why? Um, I think it was. I think it was like the fact that a guy was dressing up like an entirely different person to trick his wife <laughs> to yeah, spending time with their weird. kids. Like, I mean, that's the kind of thing that like in real life would get you like no custody with the children you know what i mean yeah, i don't remember it's been a while since i've seen it but i remember thinking that it was weird because he wasn't a deadbeat why couldn't he have more time with his kids was his wife i think it was he would do stuff like um rent like a donkey for their birthday and then like have the donkey in the house and it would like destroy the house i think he was doing things that weren't very mature and his wife was just like you're an adult and you need to act like one and he was like no i'm the the fun dad the only way he could act like an adult was by dressing up like an old woman (laughs) i guess so maybe i have to watch that movie again (laughs) just like i remember just really weirding me out and like this is gonna sound weird but I've said it before on the podcast, so maybe it's not that weird, but I have a really hard time with movies where Robin Williams is portrayed to be in a sexual relationship because I don't <laughs> really see him as like a sexual character or and no, I, I, I know understand that, that. No, bizarre, I totally understand it just, that. It's just so weird to me to see him with children and uh, like an ex-wife and and in movies where he has like a love interest yeah it's it's very it it just makes me like weirdly uncomfortable no there's a there's one movie i can't remember what it's called i have to look it up really quick but um hold on it actually reminded me of a black mirror episode but i just give me one minute and it's gonna take a second because it's relevant to what you're talking about i mean robin williams is in it the final cut that's what it's called i knew it was something cut i couldn't remember but there's like a sex scene with him and another woman in that and i was really? like i was like oh no it's <laughs> like please stop <laughs> sir i'm gonna is, need you to just is that the one where stop. he's kind of like a stalker? i know he's a stalker in one hour photo but is the final cut is he also kind of a stalker in that no if i i think i actually own it and <laughs> i've it sounds I've like seen, it really I've, creeped you out then in that case. um uh, I, you know, I might have sold it. I don't even remember, but I think Story's what changing. it's about, <laughs> you know, I could, I could actually check on my phone. Okay. Um, but what it's about is that these people have an implant in their heads. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then they like, and that's why I said that it like before. reminds me of like the black, yeah. there's an episode of black mirror. That's like almost exactly like that. I think it's in the first season or second season. I, I'm actually pretty sure it's in the first one, but, um, there was also a movie, oh, it was the, I think it was called The Greatest Dad in the World. Um, it's, hold on. He's in that as well? There's like a sex scene in that one oh too. What was it called? Well, that's how you become the greatest dad in the world. Well, that one was or very. Or a dad in general. 
Just to clarify, I wasn't making like a <laughs> weird abuse joke. No, that one, oh, World's Greatest Dad. Yeah, so that one, I think I've told you about it because it was like, it was funny, but it was like really dark. It was like a dark comedy. Um, his son, who's played by the kid that was in um, Spy Kids and now married to Megan Trainer. <laughs> Mm. I don't remember his name. Mr. Trainer. I don't care enough to look it up. And uh, Mr. Megan Trainer. Sure, exactly. And he and his son um, is masturbating, and he's like using auto asphyxiation. Well, he dies from auto asphyxiation. Wow. So there's, um, I think it's like a diary that the father had written but everyone thinks it's written by the kid that got like published i think he like published it i can't remember i only saw this movie once this was a a while ago it came out in 2009 so it's been a hot minute um and everyone was like oh my god like because this kid was like a piece of shit like you did not like him you were not supposed to like this kid he was an obnoxious little asshole so when he died you were kind of like yeah that's sad but also like Jeez. None of us are really bad, like, feel bad about it. He was a bully. He was a piece of shit. He was a giant piece of shit. Just, if you see the movie, you'd understand, trust me. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so so the kid dies, and he publishes this diary, and everyone thinks it's written by this kid. And um, it's not. It was written by the dad, but it's, like, really soulful and, like, full of, like, emotions. Everyone's like, I had no idea what it, like, what a dark... Um, you know, or what a deep, beautiful person he was. Like all these girls were like, I'm in love with your son. You know, I was in love with your son, whatever. And so it ends up getting found out later that it's a hoax. I cannot remember how, what happens after that, but there is a sex scene in it with him and this other, uh, let's see, I let's see who the actress is. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was anyone famous, but anyway, so, and I was like, oh no. That's <laughs> like, please. Um, I'm just, I'm just gonna cover my eyes until this is over. You know, like I'm like because I grew up with Robin Williams. You know, yeah. so to me, Robin Williams is almost like a father figure type. Like he's not like a sexual being, right? <laughs> so like seeing he's him, not a sexual being. I wouldn't call him a father figure, but no, I know. But it's, it's. I don't know. You know what? You know what's a really good he's show like that he always, was in. What there's there's one. It's with Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's called The Crazy Ones, and oh, it was yeah. only on for, like, one or two that. seasons. I watched it was that really, with my really mom. cute. Yeah, yeah, it was really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend that because it's, it's adorable. And his character, and I love the relationship between him and Sarah Michelle Gellar as his daughter. And I love the relationship between the two. Like, it's, yeah. it's a very, it's, I thought it was very well written. I was surprised that it did not last longer because it was a very cute show. You know, especially I it was like, cute too. it was fun. Yeah, like Sarah Michelle Geller and Robin Williams. What? Yeah. What do you mean this isn't lasting longer? Like, I'm mm-hmm. like, people love Buffy. <laughs> you know, like, hello. <laughs> anyway, I mean, like, Robin time, Williams is an Oscar winner. One time <laughs> you know? I was, uh, when I, I go to my parents' house to do my laundry and, uh, they invited me to. I'm not a deadbeat. My mom likes it. It was her idea. That's okay. Um, That's what your parents are there for. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the basements where the laundry is, and my dad's usually down there watching TV. And one time I was like getting my laundry out of the washer, and 
you know, changing the loads and everything. And I heard the Buffy theme song and I'm like, I know that theme song. I haven't heard it in a long time. What is that theme song? And then I was like, this is Buffy. And I turned, I looked around the corner and my dad's sitting watching Buffy. It was awesome. A lot of people really love that show. I liked I was, Buffy. I liked Buffy. I was an angel girl. I, I really liked I didn't Angel. I care for Angel, the character, and I never watched the show. You know, I, I tr- I've seen plenty of Buffy episodes. I've seen plenty, and I just never got into it. I actually don't really – it's funny because I don't really like Buffy as a character. I don't know why. There's something about her that just irritates me. Um, and I thought it was maybe Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's not. It's just Buffy because everything else I've seen her, and I'm like, I love her. She's great. You know, so I'm like, What? Why didn't I like, I don't know why. I just, just didn't appeal to me or something. But um, I loved Angel. I really loved Cordelia and Angel. And I wanted, like, like they were endgame for me. Like, O-T-P. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, and then they killed her on the show. <laughs> why? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was terrible. So I actually never finished it. I still have one episode left. Jeez. Yeah, I do that. I've done that with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm only like halfway through the last episode. It's like, I don't want to finish it because <laughs> it's over, you know? Like, But if I keep watching it, it's not over, right? In my mind. That's how it works. It works. This coming from the girl who's like, BTW, I just rewatched all of Community, all of Frasier, <laughs> and all of American Housewife last weekend. That's true. Yeah. I do. I actually just restarted Community again. <laughs> I just, That's cool. That's cool. I love that show. Everyone has you know? a show like that. Yeah. I really like... Um, Is yours The Office? Yeah. I watch The Office off and on all the time. Yeah. It's, Sometimes in order, sometimes I'll just start it in a random place. Recently, I started, I like Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. and I've tried to start watching it from, from season one, episode one, and I always lose interest pretty early. Not because there's nothing wrong with the show. I think I just, I just, I don't know. It's just there's something that about it that I'm just not, it's not pulling me in to be like a binge watching show. Yeah. But every time I see older seasons randomly on TV, I think they're funny. So I started it just recently. I just turned on season five, episode one and watched season five and season six. And they were really funny. They made me laugh. And then there's a season seven that just started and I'm already like, I don't think they should have made a season seven. I agree. But I thought season five was really fun what what happened in season five um what didn't happen uh so uh you're putting me on the spot now uh (laughs) what's his name starts rent a swag okay ron marries xena the warrior princess and they have a baby tammy and oh no 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 her name's no not tammy her name is diane yeah and her middle name's tammy it's not that's elizabeth she said because when they're getting married she's like the uh the woman who's writing the marriage license like i need your full name and she goes diane tammy and he goes your real name's tammy and she's like no it's elizabeth yeah so she's joking okay and then yeah um, because i was like don't marry a tammy you know what happens yeah and so there's just there's just all kinds of stuff that happens and it's it's pretty good and oh i I love megan mullaney's tammy and and what's his name have a baby together oh yeah 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 and uh, they leave the show and i don't know it's just it's just really fun i just actually recently saw that episode where they um find out whether or not they have a boy and they're both like i'm fine with a girl i'm fine with a girl yeah i'm totally fine either way i'm super happy that we're having a baby and then the doctor comes in it's henry winkler and he's like you're having a boy and they're like oh my god thank god and they both turn to each other and they're like you wanted a boy i wanted a boy too
that's really that's really cute you know mm-hmm. so but um i liked them oh yeah that we were watching it together yeah we yeah. saw it together at my house yes i forgot that yes yeah. you did come over and i yes. had that was during the time yeah. when i was watching yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so also yeah. i wanted to talk about something okay um, this is serious mm-hmm. this is a movie that i think everyone's sleeping on okay and i think people should watch it and is i may it oppenheimer no <laughs> yeah it's oppenheimer no i may it's have, certainly not the entirely full theater that i was at the other day <laughs> i may have talked about this before mm-hmm. on the episode but I'm saying it again. Game night. Oh, you know what? I just put that on my list. Funny. I've seen it a couple. I went and saw it in the theater. Like I went by myself because I just was kind of like, I want to go see a movie. And I like Jason Bateman. I like Rachel McAdams. I like Jason Bateman. And I laughed out loud by myself. And then recently within the last like two years, I think I went to a friend's house, Phil and Lindsay's house. Mm-hmm. And they had, they just bought like a 4k TV. And so they were like, nice. pick a, pick a movie out of our 4k movies and we can watch it. And I was like, you guys have game night. And so we watched it. <laughs> it was so funny. And it's on Hulu. And I just put it on just as something lighthearted. And it's just so funny. And I, I'm not sure. I didn't read any reviews. I really haven't talked to that many people about it. I don't know how well it did, but I've I really didn't hear a lot about it. So I think people are sleeping on it because it's I heard it was good. funny. It's, yeah, I would recommend it. I think it's just it's just a lighthearted fun romp. And Jesse Plem is his name Jesse Plemons. Yeah, Jesse Plemons is in it, and he has a small role, and he's just so weird and funny. And there's this little dog, and I just, just I don't know. It's Wait, Jason Jesse Bateman. Plummer, Jason to... Bateman and Rachel McAdams have amazing like comedic chemistry, and they should Do be. They? That's mo- awesome. They're like Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, I think, in a different way, where it's just like, let me see more movies where they're riffing off of each other. You know what I mean? Right. So I just I can't I can't praise it enough. I think it's really fun. Yeah, I it's added to my list. So I'm planning on watching it. Um, Jesse Plemons, the first time I ever saw him in anything was um, I think it was Black Mirror. Yeah, it was Black Mirror episode. And he was such a creep in that episode. It was like it was like um, have you seen Black Mirror? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it was in the second or third season. I don't think it was in the first one, but it was like about this guy who like created like a fantasy world and he could like put people that he knew in real life in it or like in like a like a bear. He's so loud. He has wet food. I don't know what he's complaining about. Attention. Um, <clears throat> he could put people that he knew he could create like a like a simulated version of them in this like world but he was super controlling in this world and so and these people that were like simulated in this world were like really they could really think and feel for themselves so he's this really big creep but then in real life he's like really quiet and he seems really sweet but then you're actually seeing this real side of him that you're like this is like scary behave like this is like legitimately like yeah psychopathic behavior like it was so it was a good episode i can't remember what it's called but um yeah he was that was the first thing i ever saw him in and i was like 
Okay. Yeah, I first saw him. I first saw him in Breaking Bad, and he had a kind of a creepy character, Did he? Like, disturbing sort of character in Breaking Bad as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some mm-hmm. people are just good. At He's playing really that, talented. Yeah. And Mike said, I sent him a picture because there's this um, there's this shot of him and his dog that always makes me laugh, and I took a picture of it and <laughs> sent it to Mike, and Mike said, uh, Justin looks alone. He he said he's a great actor, but. He looks like the Hallmark movie version of Matt Damon. <laughs> I was I just going to say poor Matt head. Damon, yeah. Yeah, and he said, I know he's a, he's a legitimately good actor, but his looks, and I was like, that's he does. totally true. He does. That's it's like totally a Dollar true. Tree <laughs> Matt Damon. Like, yeah. you're like, okay, let's go to the, like, it's like if you go to the dollar, you know, like dollar store and you get like a Barbie. Like, you're not really getting Barbie, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're getting fashion doll. A fashion doll. I gotta look up Oppenheimer. I'm gonna, it's, um... So that would actually be a good segue if you're, because I don't have anything else to really talk about that I've watched. Um, so do you want to talk about the movie? Let's do it. I have to say first thing, I just have to say really quick. I think it's funny that Matt Damon has played so many men that have like, like more like feminine female names, <laughs> you know, like Carol. He's played two Carols and this is Leslie. Oh wow! Yeah, yes. that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> two Carols. How many male actors in Hollywood can know. say that they meet If I ever meet Matt Damon, I want to be like, "Listen, I love your work. I like, but I think it's hilarious that you played two men that are named Carol." And I hope he's like, "Oh yeah, you are a fan of my work." And I'm like. I told you. <laughs> Not that big Do you a fan, think though, he so actually would, like, verbal, verbally doubt that someone's a fan of his work? <laughs> no. He's probably like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> like, that's fair, sir. You won an Oscar. Um, still haven't seen that movie, though. <laughs> Goodwill Hunting. Speaking of Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. I would like to see Goodwill Hunting at some point. We can review it. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, So you've seen this movie twice now. Correct. Yes. So what did you think of the movie? I think it's excellent. I love it. Um, So this was my most anticipated movie this year, followed by Barbie. So it's novel that they came out on the same day because they were the the two movies that I was like looking forward to the most. Yeah, for sure. And so that was fun. And uh, I feel like maybe everybody was. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah. And then. Followed by Mission Impossible, but oh, Oppenheimer was my Should number one. Should we still one. need to see that, girl? Remember when I asked you to go and you turned me down and yeah, I said I, I know, would buy and- a ticket and you still turned me down? I'm so sorry. Anyway. Um, I'll never have plans that are different from yours again. You didn't have plans. I know. <laughs> so Oppenheimer was my number one uh, because you all know how much I love Christopher Nolan. Hell yeah. And... Um, so, and it was much better than Tenant. That oh, was his last one, right? Yeah, yeah, that one was. I mean, I've watched, I've watched my full garbage can, <laughs> and I've been like liked it better than Tenant. So I was talking to a coworker today, and I was like, I was like, Tenant was horrible, and I was like, but Denzel Washington's son was in it, and he is a beautiful, gorgeous man. <laughs> like, and that was it. That was all I had to really say about that. I was like. He's beautiful. He's got great genes. Yeah. Good for him. Thank you for being in this world and letting me just look at your face in general. Like, I like it. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, John David Washington. 
Call so me. I, Oppenheimer <laughs> was my number one. And I was I was really looking forward to it. And our theater, Celebration Cinema in mm-hmm. Grand Rapids, was one of like 30, 30 or something. Yeah, there's like a very limited 70 amount. millimeter IMAX. Yeah. But that was sold out until eternity mm-hmm. the, on opening weekend. And I was trying to buy the tickets about a week, over a week in advance. And I was sitting at Mike's house and I was like so distressed because I said, All Dude, I had to buy my out. tickets in a week in advance. Yeah. So. And I saw it like I said, Monday. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I said, I need to see this opening weekend. I will not wait for IMAX to open up. And the next weekend after that, I was moving. So it wasn't going to work out anyway. Right. So we saw it in regular and it was fine. It was awesome. Oh, so you regular. did see it and you saw it in we like saw it in okay. regular. Yeah. And, um, was it really busy in the theater? It was sold out. It was so oh, busy. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. And then this past Sunday, I was sitting at Mike's house and saying, I probably should see Oppenheimer again before we record it because it's so dense. And yeah, I for sure. And I got on, found a ticket immediately. So I was able to see it in IMAX. Oh, that's good. Good. I didn't think it was that special in IMAX. You know, I, I kind of um, felt the same way. I was like, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference, to be that honest. the sound quality, like the sound was like really immersive and I really liked that. Yeah. But, I mean, when you're going to a state-of-the-art movie theater, I don't know if there's much difference to be gleaned from the normal presentation in the IMAX. Um, so I was kind of relieved that the I wasn't, I don't know, I felt like if I'd never seen it on IMAX, I wouldn't have missed out on anything. Right. And I, like, for me to say that, I feel like it's kind of a weird sell out to my younger self because my younger self when they were switching over to digital was like a no thank you (laughs) film for me and now i'm just like what i remember that i was i did that too like vhs i was like um i don't think so i I don't want to be turning it to dvds i wanted to use my vhs's and then i like started using dvds and i was like fuck vhs's (laughs) (laughs) so the first time i saw it it was so dense i really liked it and Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot i want to say about it i i liked it a lot there was a lot going on there's a lot of information presented there's a lot of time periods represented there is just a lot of names they say a lot of names they say a lot of science things they say it's just it's it's relentlessly informative and i knew almost nothing about oppenheimer and about the manhattan project yeah, and all the politics of his life, almost nothing. I obviously did not read the book, and um, and then seeing it again this time, um, I was able to really extract more names and little okay. details that I just like. There was like a saturation point for my brain watching it oh, because well. it's. And Mike said the word dense after we got out. He yeah. said he said it was a. It, there's probably a good movie buried in there, but it's very dense. And I think that that's a really like, that's pretty spot on. Like, yes, we can see it's a good movie. The stuff that you can capture without, you know, like the details that you do capture are amazing. There's so much going on that you even, that all the stuff that you do like absorb is amazing. But then there's almost like another full movie's worth of information that I felt like I didn't absorb. I mean, there's so many characters. Yeah. It was and there's so, so many much characters. History yeah. And so many um, nuances and interactions between multiple people and things that's like are happening 10 years in advance to 10 years in the past and stuff yeah. like that, or maybe not 10, but so seeing it a second time really helped me sort out all of the little things. And that just made me 
I mean, like, I already really appreciated it, and it just made me appreciate it even more. And I'm, I think it should win Best Picture. I think it is best the best picture this year. I think Barbie may win. Um, I'm, I'm going to write something down before I forget. No, that's okay. I think Barbie <clears throat> may win, but I think that that would be... Um, and you'll hear my Barbie review next week, so don't get too alarmed because... Spoiler alert, I think it's a good movie. But <laughs> I think I think what? Oppenheimer and Barbie might go head and head head to head at some awards and I think it would be extremely disappointing if Oppenheimer doesn't win Best Picture at the Academy Awards and maybe like the SAG Awards and all the other awards and then give Barbie the Golden Globe. You know what I mean? Like and I'll say more about that when we review Barbie, but I just I feel like this movie is is um it's it's epic. It's I it really is, enjoyed it. it. And it uh, what did you think? I liked it a lot. Um, <clears throat> I went in pretty much expecting that I was going to like it. I wasn't surprised that I liked it. Um, uh, there is, I think, really one of the biggest issues I had, and maybe this was because I was seeing an IMAX, but sometimes the music was a little overwhelming. Um, I noticed that there was really only a small amount of time where there was using ambient noise and that was like right after the bomb dropped um other than that i i th- i mean that being said the score was good the score was great i mean it was tense it was i think they whoever the the composer is is, is i don't know if you was he the guy who did um jeez was he did he I'm gonna look it up because I, no, I thought yeah, he I'm was the look. one who did the Creed movies. Oh, yeah, I like those. And because um, Mike pointed that out, Mike said, "Oh, that's the that's yeah, Lud- Ludwig Göransson." Oh, yeah. So I think he's a legit composer. He does really beautiful movie scores. So he did Creed. He did Community. Creed two. Oh my god! No wonder I love it. Tenet. <laughs> who cares Community. about Tenet? Yeah. See, so. Oh. Yeah, the Mandalorian, obviously. So he's he's really talented. The Book of Boba Fett community. Yeah, he anyway. did Black Panther, Venom. Yeah. Well, Venom so was, uh, anyway, I thought the score was beautiful. I agree. It was it was really they really mentioned well done. Yeah, so I really liked it. Um, I think that one of the things that I liked is that I think that as far as the science goes, it wasn't like. It didn't ever feel as if it was dumbed down or anything, mm-hmm. but I understood it and I liked that I understood it. So I felt like they were just like, it was like science for the common man, but they weren't being like, oh, well, you wouldn't understand this because you're just a simple little whatever. You know what I mean? Like they yeah, were like, no, we're going to talk to you on a level that you're going to get this, but we're not going to, we're not going to make it so that we're using all these complicated words that are, you know, you need like a dictionary to define because they're words that people who are engineers or whatever understand, but just like not the regular dude. Yeah. They did a really good job describing the science to each other <clears throat> Yeah, in a way that taught us what they were doing, but exactly. didn't, didn't seem like they were like explaining it in a juvenile way like right with yeah the marbles and the bowl about how much uranium and how much plutonium they need and yeah and when they would like draw diagrams as they're talking about the different um what's the word implosion or you know yeah like, yeah you know they um were, yeah I when they're talking about getting the bomb actually started and they were you know so yeah i agree with you they did a really good job conveying 
difficult subject matter. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because this it is a difficult subject matter. It's subject matter that is going to be above the majority of, uh, you know, population's head. And that's Mm -hmm. just how it is. But I felt as though they were showing us and talking about it in a way where they're like, see, you can get this and you can understand it. And we're going to just keep talking to you like this. And it's it's fine. And I and I think that they did. They did well with that because I think it's easy with a subject like this to have a lot of conversations between these, you know, scientists and individuals where they're just like saying all this shit and you're like, what? What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. Like why, you know, like what? And, and then, and it bothers me to go into a film where they're talking to you as if you should already know what they're talking about, but that's, you should never assume that ever. In any case, you know, you should always assume that this person doesn't know what you're talking about. Um, and so I thought that that was, that was, I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen, I've seen like interviews with the actual Oppenheimer. And I have to say that I thought Murphy, uh, Killian Murphy really caught his cadence. And I, I mean, there's an, uh, they, they do actually have the actual recording of him saying, I am become death destroyer of worlds later in the, in the film. That's actually Robert Oppenheimer. Um, and I, and I just think like, man, he must've just been sitting there for like hours, just like watching videos of him and like speaking back and like trying to catch that cadence. But he did a great job. I think Killian Murphy was a great, great, um, person for this role I you agree. know yeah and he's a nolan boy so we all know that nolan you loves know, him <laughs> christopher nolan engages in cronyism more than anyone i've ever seen and i think his movies are richer for it like cronyism like everyone in this movie has been in his other movies oh yeah yeah you know yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know why matthew mcconaughey wasn't in it but i'm sure it was a <laughs> scheduling thing he probably tried to get him in and right right you know and uh yeah, so... Or uh, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there was just, like, I don't just conflicts. like it. I Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> and I, I I, really love uh, that he's got, like, the the same crew. And, and I agree. Yeah. I, think, I think Killian Murphy nailed it. I got excited when I saw Gary Oldman. I was like, I know him. <laughs> yeah. I you always know? call him Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Before I Gordon. remember his real name, I'm always like, oh, it's Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Oh, Gary Oldman. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I um, I loved him as Commissioner Gordon. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was kind of, I just have to say this more. This is more of like a artistic um, thing that they decided that I thought was a little weird. It doesn't really have to do with the movie, but I thought it was weird that they had Florence Pugh's name on the um, poster and not Emily Blunt's name when Emily Blunt was like a way larger character. Yeah, and she's um, married to him and has kids. Yeah, I think so too because Florence Pugh has such a small role. Yeah, and I think she was. But she, I think she's been nominated. I don't. Well, maybe Emily Blunt has too been nominated for awards i don't know but yeah i think that's a little bit strange yeah mm-hmm. i love emily blunt i think she's awesome i'm so talented i've never seen her in a role and i was saying this to my mom i was like i love emily blunt she's really great and i was like in the middle of the movie and i was like she's fantastic blah 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 <laughs> it's like okay lauren shut up <laughs> but um that's bad behavior i don't condone <clears throat> that <laughs> i wasn't talking that much just a little bit every now and then just You're pontificating about emily very blunt. <laughs> small amounts tiny amounts very tiny 
like teaspoon amounts. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it, I, I thought that that was just kind of weird that they did that, and I was like, huh, and and I maybe could see it trying to like appeal to like a younger audience or something that are maybe just more familiar with Florence Pugh than than that Emily Blunt, but. I I'm like she, it's not like she I, like she may have had an important role or the character had an important role in getting Oppenheimer where he needed to be, but I didn't think it was so vital that she should be on the poster. You know? Yeah, I thought I that was a little really, strange. I thought I didn't really like her character. I found her to be extremely <clears throat> unlikable and wishy washy. She was she was very I think. So let's talk. Well, let's talk about Jean. Let's talk about Jean. So I think with Jean, um, she was a person who I think struggled heavily with mental illness. That's that was the first impression I got that she likely struggled with depression. I mean, she ended up committing suicide. You thought that the first thing you saw her, like, just as or as you they, mean after the movie was just, done and you saw no, her just kind of like as. It was it was kind of just I don't know there's something about the way that she was interacting with him like she was like really standoffish but she like wanted his attention at the same time when she was sitting and she's crying and they're like and they're like sitting at the end of her bed or whatever you know like right near her bed or leaning against her bed that was when I started going oh I think that she's struggling with mental illness and then well yeah, and on. then later when it's revealed that she committed suicide, which I pretty much picked up immediately as soon as I saw the hair in the in the top, I was like, she probably killed herself, and I ended up being right. Um, she was just very much giving me like really struggling with mental illness vibes, big time, like pretty much almost right away. Yeah, so I think that she's an interesting. I actually thought she was an interesting character and I would have liked to see more of her. Um, but, and I, I kind of like understand why they included her in there, but I also think that, I don't know, she, like to me, she never seemed like super, I guess maybe like, am I missing it? Like, am I missing, I keep hitting my mic, but am I like missing why she was part of it? Cause I know that. So she, um, so she was like part of the communist party, right? Uh, the United States Communist Party, and he ended up joining. No, he no, never he never he never joined. Okay, see, this is like yeah, this movie was very. I only saw it once. I almost wish I had seen it twice. Um, I had to write a lot of notes just to figure out what the fuck happened in this film, you know. Um, and I was using like a website that was like this and this and this happened. And I was like, oh, thank you for doing this, whoever this was. And I can't remember the website anymore. So, but um, but. It's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that she was an interesting character. I did, I did like her. I thought as, I mean, maybe not like as a person, but like there was something about her getting angry about him bringing her flowers. There's like, there's just something about her that appealed to me. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. I mean, that's really all I have to say about her. Well, that kind of taps into, I think, Maybe we should give a little bit of a synopsis. Okay. To try to clarify. So, do you want to do it? Since yeah. You've seen it twice? Okay. So, basically, the movie is basically a biopic of yeah. Op- Robert J. Robert Oppenheimer, and it starts. It sort of starts in the pat in the. I guess it. It starts in the. I 
think it, did it was it like 1949 or in the 50s or something yeah it where starts in like the yeah, like the yeah. yeah. So Robert Downey Jr.'s character plays a political figure who's trying Louis to get Strauss. A, Louis Strauss. Strauss. He he's trying. Yeah, he's the entire trying, time I was like Strauss. He's <laughs> he's trying to get a cabinet member seat or nomination, mm-hmm. and so it kind of goes back and forth between his him talking to his aides about all the stuff that happened with Oppenheimer, and then it's going to this like indictment or something that Oppenheimer is part of because they're not renewing his security clearance so he can't be involved in in matters of national security where science is needed and things and and he's trying to speak up for himself but it's basically they say in the movie it's a kangaroo court you know it's set up yeah for him to fail and you get to see his beginnings in school like um in England and then studying all these like theories and he brings it to Berkeley and then gets tapped to be the director of the Manhattan Project. Right. They obviously are successful in building a bomb. The bomb goes off over Japan. Oppenheimer feels great remorse and guilt for what he's done. And he sort of makes it his mission to try to discourage the world from, you know, try to discourage the United States from building more of these weapons and the world from building these weapons but um robert johnny jr's character tries to get some like isotopes sent to norway and if i sound like i don't know what i'm talking about it's because there's a lot of details in this movie <laughs> i don't know what isotopes are but i know that oppenheimer i don't really know that either and sort of humiliated him mm-hmm. and so then strauss went crazy and like Totally Strauss went full on Oppenheimer's life, like oh. out for blood, yeah, and, and, <laughs> and nobody really knows what's going on. And then at the end, you learn that it was Strauss the whole time, yeah, who wanted to take away his security clearance, and he ends up losing the trial, so he doesn't get a security clearance. And then right. it um, wasn't even a trial; Strauss, it was it's just not, like, yeah, it's yeah. just like a little. I don't know what it's called. And then Strauss also doesn't get his cabinet seat. Right. And, um, which but there's felt so pretty much good. More, there's so much more <laughs> happening in the movie. Oh my but God. That's so much more. Way. And the thing is, the thing about Gene is I think it just, I think it, I didn't think that she had mental illness in the beginning of the movie because she, I just thought that she was just like a typical woman who's like, don't adore me, adore me. You know what I mean? And um, see, that's exactly why I thought because that that back and forth, I was like, uh, there's something, there's something going on there, you know. And she would get mad at him for bringing her flowers and for visiting her, and then later she got mad at him because he, she couldn't see him all the time and and stuff. And and um, but well, and then I he th- he had a relationship with Kitty and got her pregnant, mm-hmm. and then Jean was upset about that, but. It didn't really feel like she had a real right to be upset because That's they weren't I mean. ever. They never. It didn't to, seem like they were ever like actually just exclusive couple. to and each I other. Think yeah, it seemed like he tried to be. I think so too. With her, and she kept yeah. pushing him away, and then she had the audacity to get mad when he, right. you know, was like, "Okay, well, I have another woman." But right. um, I think that the since we're talking about Jean, one of the biggest problems i had with the movie one of the biggest critiques is that i felt like there were some moments of dialogue that seemed a little bit like movie dialogue and unrealistic and um 
one of them was when they were having sex and she pulled down the book and she's like they're having this like snarky mid-atlantic conversation about the books on a shelf she's like mm, a little books for a physicist and he's like what do you love, only have I a bookshelf full of freud mid-atlantic and, voice. Uh, and they're just like doing this weird like snarky back and forth yeah. and i was like okay talk like real people you just you're having sex you just right you like she like stopped having sex to peruse this bookshelf and um and then she pulls down the book. What is it? Sanskrit? Is that yeah, the language? Yeah, the Bhagavad Gita, I think it and, was what it is. And that part also annoyed me because he Which I said, might mispronounce that, by the way. So She's like, what does this say? Read the words. And then he said, I am become death destroyer of worlds. And right. then they have him... Then they say that line again. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't like that. I wish that in that scene, she he he would have said like what was happening in the book but not read the words. And yeah. The only one and only time you hear the words is when he actually thought it during the atomic bomb. Right. So I, I was upset about that because that just seemed like so movie, like movie dialogue, you know, like too. Yeah, easy, I kind like of agree. Too much foreshadowing. Well, I, later, I feel like it was, I feel like it was like Chekhov's gun, but it didn't need to be right, Chekhov's gun. Exactly. There didn't need to be exactly. a Chekhov's gun in that part. You know, yeah, we, we yeah. you know, people who like, I think I would have picked up on what they were alluding to. But even if I didn't, it wouldn't have changed the movie at all. For well, me, and also you know? she never even tell, so, says what the book is or anything. It's, right. it's a, it's a Hindu, um, it's a Hindu like religious book is what i believe it is and you know i'm gonna look it up because i don't well I, anyway i want to be right about this well though. anyway so later in the movie okay <laughs> go ahead sorry what should i let you trail off before i continue um yes <laughs> later in the movie him and kitty are sitting in the desert and she says something like the world is changing this is your time and that feels a little bit movie-fied that feels like a line that you would write after you know what how history ends up and that kind of bothered me, that sort of obvious pep talk. And now, yeah. I never read the book. I never read the book about his life. Maybe she really said that. And color me wrong. That's fine if she really said that. But I didn't really care for that. And then when Jean was crying beside the bed, when he told her that he knocked up Kitty. Yeah. And he was going to have different responsibilities. She said, like, don't alienate the people that. Uh, understand you you may need them and, and that, that's a little too much foreshadowing for me as well because Jean like Jean spent her what was she in like four scenes yeah she spent I mean, her barely four any, scenes yeah. pushing him away most of the time yeah how why is she suddenly an expert on who understands him and right. what he's doing and and so that foreshadowing really bothered me because I, I thought like no this this movie is better than this moment right here because i don't think the moment is bad around that line like her crying and saying you know like she basically accuses kitty of baby locking him like kitty knew what she was doing she yeah she's tying you up because you you do you think do you think that do you think that she was well when you see how much kitty just absolutely hates her children i might i might think that gene had a point but yeah, um, Kitty really like Kitty. Well, Kitty was a divorcee, and I think in the 1930s, being a divorcee wasn't as liberating as it is now. Well, she she was so, married at, when they well, started having oh, their yeah, affair. Yeah, she was yeah. married, and she then they married got divorced. To a guy. She yeah. was married to a guy who like didn't really pay attention yeah. to her, and yeah, because she was like, you know, because Oppenheimer's like Oppie. I I like that. Oppie's like. Well, how do you feel about your husband? She's like, he's cool or fine or whatever. Like yeah. she just, she, she was so, 
she was disconnected she from the situation. Yeah, yeah, she clearly, I don't, I mean, even, it didn't seem like she ever really loved her husband. And I'm talking about both, like Oppenheimer and her, the guy that she was married to, because, you know, they got married um, when she got pregnant, Oppenheimer and her, which is understandable. That was like, what, 19, like late 20s, 1920s, you know, and they got married, I think. Is that about right? No, the baby was pretty young when they went to Los Alamos. I think it was probably 1939 or 40. Okay, okay. So either way, it's at a time when it's probably pretty shameful to have a child out of wedlock, especially, well, you're married to someone else and you have another man's child is big time bad. Um, And so I can understand why they got married and everything. But she really, like, she, first of all, I'm pretty sure she was an alcoholic, she was definitely struggling with alcoholism. Um, she was carrying around a uh, flask in her purse, you know. And then there's there's a couple points where you can see, like, uh, I think it's like Jason Clark's character, like, sees that. And he's kind of, like, given an eye. And, and I, <laughs> that, the, whenever he did it, I was like, do not judge her. <laughs> do not judge her. You know, I was like, how dare you? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, you don't know these people I've been through. <laughs> anyway, um. I was getting irritated. It was mostly because he was just such a fucking, like, mm. anyway. Um, where was I going with this? Hold on. My notes just. So you were looking up the book. Oh, yes. It is a, um, it is, I, I think it's religious text. I like. You think? I just, why did I like? I mean, it's the Bhagavad Gita, the son of God, the song of God. Um, it is a Hindu, it's Hindu scripture. Okay. Yeah, so it was right. Okay. I, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, so it, what he was quoting was Hindu scripture. And, um, but I, I agree with you. I think it was like just a little too on the nose where, you know, she's like, say this, say this line. Like this particular line, this one particular line, you know what I the mean? The famous yeah. line. You, the why famous would you line, open yeah. a book right to that page? And, right. And it just, it takes, like by the time he says it again, in the real context of which he later said that he thought it. Yeah. Oh, this is a line we've already heard before. You might as well just it doesn't use have a pop the song, the same pop yeah. song twice. Yeah. You know? it, I totally agree. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, I think the thing is about the when he says it in like you know when he really says it i guess really says it you know it has such a big impact because you're like okay so a bunch of innocent people were just killed by this bomb um and now he's you know he's he's reciting hindu scripture um which i think a lot of people don't know that it is hindu scripture but you just found out today. No, I've known that for a while. I just wasn't. I know <laughs> you're giving me, you're giving me a look like you're you're giving me shit, but uh, I'm gonna defend myself and say that I've known for a while. I just wasn't 100 percent sure. I was like 99 percent sure. Okay, to be fair, all right. I don't read Hindu scripture. All right, <laughs> maybe I should. <laughs> um, Florence Pugh would probably like you. <laughs> Yeah, she'd be like, "Don't bring me flowers," and I'd be like, "I wasn't going to." God, jeez. Like, don't look at these though, yeah. Florence. <laughs> I have flowers on my desk. Anyway, Fake you did know what it was. I I'm, did. Yeah, I know because you've said before. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
But you're right. It did not have the same impact at all whatsoever because we've already heard this before. And I think that you you do make a good point. It's like a pop song. It's just like, oh, this shit again. And like, um, you know, there's only so many times you can hear um, a particular song before you're like, <laughs> okay, can we stop this? Can we can we just end this like right now? Thank you, thank you very much. Um, that's like my life currently is my job plays a lot of the same music. I've heard this one song called "You've Got a Watermelon Heart." I've never heard it before, but I've heard it now. I've heard it about maybe fifteen times. I think <laughs> I'm like, nice. okay, it's actually not a bad song. It's kind of catchy and fun, but. It's not something that you want to hear over and over again. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, so, yeah, I I don't, I mean, Jean was fine. I kind of feel like she maybe could have been cut out of the entire thing and really wouldn't have made that big of a difference. But maybe it would have. No, I, I think, don't know. I think she was fine. I, I liked the parts that she was there. Me too. I liked that it, because, you know, I mean, Oppenheimer is a flawed character. Yeah. He had multiple extramarital affairs um oh so okay i didn't realize that he did the blonde woman that um i don't know if you remember the scene at the christmas party when he was like standing really close to the blonde woman and then later they're at strauss's birthday party and they're talking and then later in the hallway outside of the indictment Mm -hmm. um his friend Rabbi, Robbie, Robbie, mm-hmm. or Bernard. I like to call him Bernard from the Santa Claus. Uh, Robbie comes. He's also he's, in Mom. He's in a lot of oh, a lot okay. of episodes of Show Mom. And he's like, okay, so Lawrence, John Hart, Josh Hartnett's character, Lawrence, was going to testify, but somebody told him that you were having an affair for years and years and years with this other woman, and her husband died of a broken heart. And Oppenheimer's like. That's not true. He never found out. <laughs> so, oh man, I so guess I missed that. You know, he's, he's had multiple <laughs> affairs, and, okay. and he's he's obviously a flood character, but yeah. So I think that it's important because it doesn't really, you know, he's still a sympathetic character, even though he has done shitty things. Um, but also, <laughs> him and Kitty had a very like a non-standard relationship. Anyway, I'm not saying she should have been cheated on because she obviously shouldn't have been, but. I don't know. The story sort of worked for me, and I didn't really think of him as a villain, even though he, no, he I did didn't that. either. But, so I think that Jean was important because because it showed that, and it also like when she killed herself. I really liked the moment between him and Kitty. Me too. Because she, I think Kitty had this weird sympathy for him while she was scolding him because he was crying over his mistress dying. But I think she still. I think she did love him in her own way. Um, maybe not in a standard, like, true love sort of way, but they loved and respected each other, I think. And yeah. and she's like, she says, you know, you don't get to do the sin, commit the sin, and then have us feel sorry for yeah. you. I but like she's that sort line. of embracing him in a, in a way as well, and then she's like, pull yourself together, people depend on you, and I think that there's... Really well, good he's subtext. like about to freeze to death outside, yeah. too. And like she really good subtext in that line, because she's like, you know, me and your children depend on you. Also, the whole world, the whole country. Yeah, seriously. Everyone is depending on you. You have more in this world than just Jean, your mistress, you know. But And, yeah. and so I, I think that, that the fact that Jean is in the movie created some other interesting and, and powerful moments. And I, and I think that it's really creative to have... I'm not sure if it's necessary, but I thought it was creative to have the scene of her and him in the in the room with all the people. Yeah, because because I really liked what Emily Blunt did in that scene, like imagining them together, just mm-hmm. 
Even though and even though she already knew that they had had an affair, she was still being confronted with it and insulted with it. Yeah, from all these men. And um, I had and to it tell was you, really like and it was unsettling too. Like because you know, Jean's like not breaking eye contact with her, and they're mm-hmm. like having sex. I mean, it's not really happening, but it, they're like having sex in this room of individuals, and you're like, yeah, okay, they're being questioned. <laughs> it's during the right. I'm, I'm, is it an indictment? I don't know what I, it is. I mean, I, I got, yeah, it's like I a think little, so. Like, a, like some sort of question session. Anyway, yeah. And, and it's like he's naked yeah, because he's being exposed a... by what they're doing. They're sort right. of like embarrassing him and bringing up all of his dirty laundry. And then Kitty is sitting there being all this dirty laundry of her husband's affairs in her face. And uh, I have to tell you, so... I went and saw it with Mike and my friend Reagan and mm-hmm. we were staying in the lobby when the movie was done and we were just kind of chatting and and we talked about that scene for a second and I was like, that must have been really awkward for Florence Pugh. Oh to my film. God, I thought that. <laughs> and Mike said, and this is what Mike said, he was like, and I believe that Christopher Nolan only uses practical effects, so that was real nudity <laughs> and it killed me. I started laughing so hard. But Reagan pointed out that I don't know how uh, how many times you actually see the whole group when she's in there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I was going to pay attention this time, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. So I, I thought everyone was in there, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Like, I have like qualms about um, female full frontal nudity that's just used for nudity's sake and there's no reciprocation of having male nudity. Not that I need both, but I feel like when it's just boobies, it feels like it's just for boobies. Boobies! You know? <laughs> you know? And, I, and that, that kind of puts a bad taste in my mouth because I'm like, I is the only reason this scene is in the movies to show some boobies or is there a reason when they're sitting on the chairs you know yeah. also it's a good like, like the Danish girl tale. did a good job with that where they showed both male and female nudity. yeah yeah like, i just i'm not saying that like if we see boobs we need penis but sometimes if i just see boobs it reminds me of just the age old like on mr skin if you watch it for two and a half hours you'll get to see florence Pugh's breasts you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it's just yeah, it's like yeah but um, I see, yeah. But I it is a cautionary tale about using hotel furniture because they are both sitting bare butt on that <laughs> on those chairs. But I know. I do think it's interesting. Like I can't. I don't want to sound like a total anti nudist because I think it's interesting for them to be sitting there naked because they're very comfortable about around each other, but they're not comfortable enough to be anywhere near each other because they're not post sex cuddling. No, yeah, no. They're, they're post sex like, on separate they're like chairs. five feet away yeah. from each other. They're like and two guys in a hot tub five feet away because they're not gay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that there is a distinction like the nudity is important in that way. But maybe let's be a little more creative than just being like, oh, guess what? Only the females' uh, breasts are exposed and we don't get to see anything else. Not that I'm itching to see penis. I'm just saying if we're going to get boobs, why not give like a, a ball sack? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you see some vagine, you want to see some peen. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying like, let's be an no. equal opportunity nude no i you know hey you know i say why not i i don't i don't have a a real problem with it um it doesn't really bother me um i kind of like when they have casual nudity in films when it's not sexualized because i think it's just important to like be 
like there shouldn't be such a stigma against nudity if it's especially if it's not a sexualized thing, you know. Um, so it didn't really bother me as much, but I can I can see where you're coming from. It just you know? bothers me because it feels so tired. Yeah, that's why it didn't. To me, it didn't feel tired in that scene. It just felt like it felt natural. It felt organic to me. It didn't feel. I'm not saying okay. I don't know. It just it no. Feels I mean, a I, I, I think objectifying I to me when it's just like boobs, nothing else. We don't even get to see like his butt. Like you know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. show oh, him we walking. We want to see some Killian no, Murphy like, butt. I'm not saying this to, because I need like <laughs> I don't need this like sexual gratification for myself. No, I know. I'm I saying know. like Florence Pugh has to sh- like show her breasts on film, and yeah. she's fine with it. That's fine with me do your thing but there are more people in this world than just women with breasts yeah so yeah. i need you to show me that you're not just showing breasts to show breasts yeah that's what i mean yeah make him walk someplace so i get to see his butt or something not me personally but i'm just saying it is natural it's fine you want to see killy murphy's butt if two I people get it. are sitting in a room naked with all the lights on they're gonna see everything yeah so for we sure should see some more I yeah think, if you want it to truly be natural this was a soapbox i didn't really expect to stand on <laughs> but that's how i feel about movie nudity she brought her soapbox that's today. how i felt in boys don't cry as well yeah you know? i remember yeah so just we need we need more if if there's gonna be nudity it can't just be breasts all the time yeah 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 okay yeah <laughs> okay (laughs) it is law (laughs) so shall it be written so shall it be done yes um oh so i have to say okay so first of all i got really excited because i thought strauss was actually related to um to isadore strauss of macy's no they're not they're not (laughs) i know because i looked it up i was like googled it immediately as soon as i got out and um there's Isidore Strauss has just two S's, not three. So it's like same kind of spelled the same, but not quite, you know? Anyway, I was like, I was excited about that because I would have been like, oh my God, a connection to the Titanic. That's so cool. You know, like I just love, I love when history connects. It makes me feel very excited. Um, so, okay. So uh, the thing, it's hard. This movie's difficult because it goes back and forth so much. I understand why they did it because there was kind of like the big reveal at the end that Louis Strauss is actually like kind of a, a like a real, um, you know, he's he's like a little tiny man who needs to have his petty little tiny, um, you know, he's like someone offended me once and I need to make sure that they pay for it. And you're like, OK, maybe let's not destroy someone's reputation over this. But that's exactly what he wanted to do. Um and it, it's it it just it, with it going back and forth, it does make it a little difficult to kind of like keep on a like a track. But I think we should just kind of try and I don't know, just I guess just try, just try, just try, just try. Just try. Um, so okay, so then Oppenheimer is the head of the Manhattan Project, which they build the little town in Lo- uh, Los Los. Los Alamos? Okay. I don't know why I was like all of a sudden questioning myself. And, um, and I mean, we talked about all about how like Strauss felt publicly humiliated. Well, and Strauss also had this weird, like, like almost mental, he was stuck mentally on this moment that happened with 
Albert Einstein and Oppenheimer. Oh yeah, yeah, that was, was interesting. So he was like obsessed sure over it almost. That, yeah, yeah, because like uh, uh, Einstein barely acknowledged him when he walked past him after he yeah. been talking to Oppenheimer, and he was so sure that Oppenheimer said something about Strauss and. And I really like the end of the movie when um, that actor... Alden Einrich. Alden Einrich. That's his name? Yeah. Alden Einrich um, was like, maybe it wasn't about you at all. Maybe it was something I like that line, important. too. Yeah. And I just like how he based all this vitriol on this one event that wasn't even what he thought. And this other event that was like... Wait, I just, well, I have to say just one thing. Courtroom. I have to say one thing. I was like, maybe as I was watching it and, you know, like Strauss is getting all uptight and shit about uh, Einstein. I was kind of like, maybe Einstein just doesn't like you. You yeah. know what I mean? I was yeah. like, that could be totally possible. I mean, Einstein could just be like, I just don't like you. I, I don't want to acknowledge you. I don't want to spend time with you. I think you're an asshole. You know, and you know what? Honestly, same. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think he's an asshole too. I, you know, I don't think Einstein was really a great guy either. But I don't really know that much about him to say that. Well, then why would you say that? Because I've heard it before. Why? So. <laughs> why did they think? There was something about when he was married, he had like all these really, really controlling, like ridiculous rules for his wife, and I think he he just. He, the thing is, the more research I do into brilliant, brilliant individuals, specifically men, the more you realize how intelligent someone is, it's more than likely that they are also kind of an asshole. And that's like, that's, it's just kind of like, it kind of goes hand in hand. I don't, you know, and I'm not saying that women can't be like that. I'm I'm certain that there are women out there who are very smart that are assholes. I'm sure that, you know, but in my experience of research, that is what I find is that people, specifically men who are of high intelligence, are usually not very nice or welcoming or kind people. They're usually like, they think they're better than everyone else. Everyone else is less intelligent than them. They deserve the things to be their way. You know, and I think that it's totally possible that Einstein was just like Strauss. I'm not a fan. I don't want to interact with him. You know, and Strauss seemed to really like, I got I got this vibe from Strauss that he was like, oh, Einstein's smart. He's my pal. You know, like he's almost like bragging about it. Yeah, he kind of seemed like a name, Yeah, a like he was dropper. like, Einstein lives here. <laughs> NBD, but uh, <laughs> he's super smart. Yeah. So like, you know, and then when Einstein was just like, nah. Mm -mm, talk to the Hanks face ain't listening. Um, Strauss was just like, what? <laughs> you know, he's like having a mental breakdown over it. And it is interesting because he does focus on that for like, what, a decade or something? I mean, for a very long time. And then you just find out that Oppenheimer was like, you know what? This is going to destroy the world. And Einstein's like, pretty much. Yep. And that's what they talked about. It was never and never had anything to do with Strauss. But Strauss is so up his own ass that he thinks it's about him, you know? Um, I mean, a little, I would say a little bit of narcissism there for sure. Because he just strikes me as being very narcissistic. Um, you know, and he, like, so... Oh, it was an inquiry. That's what it's inquiry. called. Inquiry. Inquiry. Okay. Yeah. Not an indictment. Um, but yeah, they say that it was an inquiry and not a trial because he didn't want Oppenheimer to become a political martyr. Ah. 
Yeah. yeah. So, um, which is, I think is interesting because Strauss clearly knows what he's doing. I mean, he's obviously very intelligent. He was super, I mean, like, really, like, Machiavellian, Machiavellian type of, you know, behavior. Um, He wanted to be on top, and he wanted to continue, what was his role in the Senate, wasn't it? He wanted a seat on the presidential cabinet. Or something something like like that, that. yeah. Yeah. So he wanted, like, power. He was looking for power. And, yeah, and I think that he thought by destroying Oppenheimer that he would get there, but that's not what ended up happening. It ended up having the opposite effect. It's funny. I even noticed that I was like, I was like, oh, my God, the guy from White Collars in this. (laughs) I was like, and like Matthew Modine. What the fuck? Everyone was in this fucking movie, you know? Um, It was chock full. It was. It was really chock full of people. So, So, I think it's called... The inter interim community committee and intermen community committee yeah intermen community why is that why can't I say that word committee I said it there you go interim Thank you. committee yeah but when I looked it up it was spelled intermen oh okay and I was like intermen is that a real word doesn't seem like a real word to me but maybe it is I don't know you looked it up so that's true um so I'm gonna just say interim because I feel like that's Right. Um, so he had said in the in the committee that the bomb was vital to end the war and that um, and I think it was this kind of really like stuck with me is that he said that he thought that they should choose a city that would have a profound psychological effect on the Japanese. It what really ticked me off. Who said that? Uh, Oppenheimer said that. What? Did? Yeah. What really ticked me off was that one of the characters said, "Well, we're not going to hit Kyoto because my wife and I like to vacation there, and it's really nice." And I was like, "Oh, well, so glad for you and your wife, but you know, like all those Japanese people that are going to die in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, fuck them, I guess, right?" Well, like <laughs> he said, "I think that scene was really interesting." Well, he said it was highly he culturally said the significant. Cultural yeah. significance and. He f- so you're right. I'm saying you're right. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. He did say the cultural significance, but he also said so flippantly, and we like it because we honeymoon there. Yeah. And I think my that sister that lived there actually. Scene. Oh, it looks like a cool place, but um, it it's. I think that scene is really interesting because no matter what city they chose, they're playing God. You know. Oh, it's big like, time. Yeah. Like my first somebody, one of Mike's friends asked me my thoughts on the movie, and, and my first like gut reaction was that it's a really interesting study on like just the weight of unlimited power yeah for sure and um it's interesting because like oppenheimer thought that the bomb would make people would scare people into peace like nobody would want to start wars again because the bomb was so scary but it had the opposite effect obviously because and it led straight into the cold war psychopaths in this world you know yeah um so I, i thought that scene was really interesting because it's just like a coin flip on which cities got bombed basically right. you know and it totally. was just, it's just these people in a room deciding p- other people's fate yeah, the and I fate mean, of hundreds of I mean, thousands isn't of that people w- but i mean also they had said that tokyo was basically destroyed from fire bombing anyway so like a hundred thousand people died in the fire bombing so it's just like it's they're just like so let's just pick a different city you know and right and um I didn't remember that Oppenheimer said that line. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote I wrote it. Th- so that's interesting, but 
he yeah it was it was um he said that and it was kind of like a throw it wasn't i wouldn't say it was like a throwaway line but it was almost like a throwaway line where he's like yeah we should definitely do a place that has gonna have a big psychological effect and i was just like oh my god like wow and i'm just the i mean that that mindset to go we want to destroy and murder i mean commit essentially genocide um and we want to make sure that these japanese people they remember it for the rest of their damn lives and you're like wow okay and yes obviously they're going to um but i so i have to say i want to add this and i don't know if i told you this i don't think i told you this in in person but when they dropped the bomb when no no when they tested the bomb and it went off and everyone was started cheering I was sobbing, like full on lip quivering, crying. Like I was like filled with this sense of like despair. It was just, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Like it was just, I was like sitting there like wiping away tears because it was like, I know the devastation that this caused. And they did not know that yet because they hadn't dropped the bomb yet. But I did as someone who lives in the future, you know. And um, and I was just like, this is devastating. This is devastating. And it was overwhelming and, like, just, I mean, I felt like, I just felt like this horrible sense of, like, hopelessness, you know. And it, I would say that I did not expect myself to react that way. But I like that I did because it was it was like a significant moment for me personally in watching this film that made me just like kind of just kind of like um, just under I, I don't really know how to word it. I guess like understand and realize just the utter devastation that this bomb caused and how many people suffered and people and the thing is you know they're they one of the things they said later which was really disturbing was um people were who had survived were like cheering coming out of their houses but then they died later and radiation poisoning is incredibly painful it is a really really awful horrible way to die and it was like it's just like i mean it just kind of hits like it feels like a punch in the heart you know what i mean like you're just like they're it's just so sad that this had to occur. And I understand that we did this because the Japanese attacked us first. I know that, but I'm not saying that makes it right or equal, you know, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I I mean, yeah, I know. I think they did weigh. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we should have dropped the bomb. I hope nobody misunderstands me, but I think we have to, we have to get into the 1945 frame of mind, not the 2023 frame yeah. of mind. I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying they should have done it. I'm saying we cannot look at it with history behind us and yeah. say it and try to justify it with our modern sensibilities. We have to think about the time. And they they were talking about all the loss of life that uh, invading invading Japan would result in. So they were using that to justify dropping the bombs i neither is right i think um the bomb is a metaphor for just war in general almost like the men in charge the women in charge on very rare occasions 
determine the fates of millions of people all the time, even when there's not an atomic bomb. And and I think that that's also equally devastating and scary. And um, I'm not saying that dropping the bomb was right, but I am saying I can understand their, I can understand their dilemma because, you know, they were facing something that we maybe can't quite imagine. And um, I guess if I had been in charge, I hope I wouldn't have dropped it, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Right now, if they had called me on this, like, intergalactic telephone, I might say, like, try something else. Have you, you know, like, considered don't drop peace, it. maybe? <laughs> but I do think that the reason, I think there's a couple things, like, maybe the reason the story is so compelling is because because it's it's like a horror story that happened in real life that we as modern day people in 2023 can never fully grasp because we weren't alive then and killing people is wrong no matter what like i would never say like well your killing is justified because of this this, isn't this i'm just saying it's almost impossible for us to grasp what was going on for them you know and 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 it's it's a hard discussion to be in because I never want it to look like I'm like, well, it's good. We dropped it because I don't think that that's right. necessarily the answer. But yeah, it is it is like like looking at it with our like future goggles. It's it's horrifying. It's so terrible and so devastating and so scary. And it is. Yeah. And I thought the movie was really interesting because it was like Oppenheimer the, in the movie, the movie character Oppenheimer, you know, he was given a task to do and it's like. You're given this task to do and it's in this little box and it's like assemble this thing that's in a little box, dedicate all your time, all your money, all your energy, everything to assembling this little thing in this box. And so you're like, I've got to do it. This is consuming my whole life for two years. Right. I'm building this thing in this little box and once it's done, it's going to be done and and then it's done and then you see, you know, you pull back and you see what you've created and maybe you've created a killing machine. Right. And I think that it's really interesting when they did the test and he saw just like the raw power. Oh that yeah. He had, he had a look at his face. Like the unleashing yeah. this onto the world. And I think that that's, it's just, it's really well done because it's like, you, you're never focused on, he was not I, I feel like like the focus was was always on the task at hand and not like what's going to happen when this is done. And then once it's finally done, it's like, what what are we what have we just done? You know? Yeah. And, for, I have to write something else. I don't and uh, so I think that that's that's really fascinating. And the most powerful scene for me was when um, they were loading up the two warheads into the trucks and the trucks are driving away because like so many people's fates were sealed at that moment. And I thought that was a really powerful scene. And it's so almost like it's not innocent because they know the weight of it, but it's almost just like sterile. Yeah. Because Oppenheimer is standing there with one of the other men and, and he's just the one of the guys were like, did you tell him you're like, they're gonna they're talking about like dropping it on people and Oppenheimer's like we just make the bombs we can't tell them right how it works you know what to do with it and they're just sort of watching these two trucks drive away and meanwhile across the world in Japan everybody who's affected 
is just living their normal lives, you know, yep. and yeah, and and I think that that was it is it is really powerful and it's 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 really heavy and it, you know that's he had to wear that guilt and anybody who's bombed or done anything like that has to wear that that weight yeah forever right. that they've done those things you know so. unless you're like Ted Kaczynski but <laughs> um I there are actually I have to say something so first of all um Olivia Thrillby girl boss loved her <laughs> she was great I like how she's like um you're saying that I'm gonna have issues with my woman parts but your man parts are outside of your body <laughs> and I was like girl yes <laughs> it was like that was a great argument I was like yeah She's right. It's like it's like the same idea as like when people were worried that women going on trains would cause their uterus to like fly out of their body. That was like a thing that people were worried about. Anyway, um there is something I read on Reddit actually that I think is is very relevant to what you were saying. And that is uh it was about the woman. So first of all, I remember I I was telling you about um Catherine Monvizon, who was like the poisoner in, in France in the 1600s. So there was a woman before her in Italy called like, I think like maybe 30 years before it was pretty, they're pretty close because someone that like Catherine Monvizon knew, like actually studied from this woman in Italy. So her name is Julia Tofana. And someone was posting on Reddit about Julia Tofan, and they're like, well, what do you think of her? And someone had said this comment that I thought was very um, poignant. And it was like, I don't like to use today's standards of morality to base it on, you know, what happened like 400 years ago. And I think that you make a really good point with that. We are take. I'm taking 2023 sense of morality, you know, um, and I'm putting it on something that happened, what, um, 70, 70? No. Yeah. 68 years ago. 80 years ago. 80 years. 45, though? That's 80. <laughs> so, whatever. You know what I mean. It happened a long time ago, either way. And, and, you know, comparatively to how long, I guess, we live, uh, like, not compared to, like, how long the Earth's been around, whatever, you get what I'm saying. Um, and you're right. It's different. It's totally different. And how we view relationships is different. I mean, everything. Uh, it's and, We would not recognize our world if yeah, we went back in time at that time. We'd be like, what is going on? Is Why is everyone... Like so sexist it's like yeah that's normal like what that's this is normal also in no <laughs> way in no way i'm in no way justifying using the bomb but i am saying like i think a lot of arguments are really black and white where they show like oh well japan bombed pearl harbor so that america joined the war and then america bombed japan and it's just like japan was this innocent victim in the atomic bomb and america was this innocent victim in pearl harbor but Japan did really horrible things to China in that time. Um, Japan. They did, were an Axis power, weren't they? I don't know. But um, <laughs> Japan did. It was a war. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that Japan should have had the bomb dropped on them. But I am saying that they weren't just like going along their merry way. And we were just like, let's bomb them. You know, like there were right. horrible war things that happened on all sides. America. I'm sure America did bad things in the war as well. Like bomb innocent eugenics. people 
And, we were huge yeah, into eugenics and, at the time. And bombing, you know... We put Japanese people into internment into camps. Into internment camps. So I'm not suggesting that Japan should have gotten the bomb, but I am suggesting there is so much more to the story than just one day we decided to right. fly over there and drop a bomb on them. Um, and this is a moral a moral issue that, yeah, we, yeah. we can't fully argue ever but we really don't understand you know and and i mean well it's like what you said black and we're looking at it through the black and white lens and the reality of it is is that nothing hardly ever is black and white yeah it's there's very rare cases of black and white it's i mean and you're right it's everyone is guilty of some sort of atrocity during war, you know, um, but I I think the the big the biggest thing and why I had such like an, an emotional reaction is just because it's like all these casualties, yeah, just these is, innocent I mean, people, that's the thing. you know. That's the thing. It is emotional, and we didn't just bomb like the people who were doing bad things. We bombed people who were just going about their lives, exactly, women, yeah. children, yeah, old people, young people animals you know what i mean yeah so it yeah it's not it's not just like well they did horrible things so they should be bombed you know right yeah um i wanted to talk about too uh the apple what the fuck yeah he was that was i wonder if that was real but he did say to florence pew later so he he did say he was in like some sort of therapy or analysis because he tried to kill. So maybe it was a real thing. I don't know. I'm but so yeah. glad that he like grabbed it. He's like wormhole. Yeah. And I was like, oh you my put, god, like, cyanide I was, in the I was, apple. Yeah. Potassium cyanide. Yeah. I had my hands like on my cheeks. So I was like, no, 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 don't bite it, don't bite it, don't bite it. Um, first of all, I love James Darcy. He's the he was the the yeah. yeah. He's he's also in that movie. Um, oh my god. Um, after. After the dawn, after the oh no. yeah, he's um, the teacher. Yeah, yeah, he's the after teacher the in dark. that. After the dark, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't, remember, I couldn't remember it. Um, and I, I, I saw. I've only seen him in like three things. I saw him in that. He was in Jupiter Ascending. He was a dad in that. And I, and I know you didn't like that, but I love that movie. I don't care. Um, <laughs> give me side eye. <laughs> um, that was just that was really funny when we saw that movie together. We laughed, and you were like, "I'm so excited to talk about this trashy movie." And I was like, "I loved it." And you were like just kidding (laughs) um yeah the apple what the hell that was i mean he just like that like i was watching that scene and i was like cool so he just like absolutely decided to commit murder and it was so casual and i'm like because the guy pissed you off for like two seconds i mean him and strauss were uh two sides of the same coin i guess yeah (laughs) that you know and i think that thing is that kind of yeah essentially they are very there's a lot of similarities between them and i'm sure that oppenheimer would have hated hearing that but the reality of it is is that well you are both like out for blood really you know so um so okay first of all edward teller um was he russian the guy that I thought he sounded. I called him Russian Billy Zane because he looked like Billy German to me. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if he was Russian or German. I thought he was Russian. (laughs) I called him Russian Billy Zane. So he was. um, 
Well, so I wrote down, like, he was working to get a crash development program for the H-bomb passed by the government. And he thinks that the super, which is the fusion bomb, is too big and will push Russia to further develop bombs, making an arms race between the U.S. and Russia. But um, because I think Oppenheimer was really, he was trying to slow down the development program of the H-bomb. So, um but there was also there was also like a underlying whole thing uh, with Oppenheimer because he is Jewish, so he wanted to really make sure that these Nazis were not advancing, you know, um, and were and he said that he he felt like they could not be trusted with the bomb. I mean, yes, obviously they can't be trusted with art either. So there's that. They stole a bunch of artwork, and that makes me really upset. Um, and <laughs> you know, and. So his desire to build the bomb is like rooted in his Jewish heritage, basically. And I think, I mean, I think it's really, I, I think we should, we should talk about like his, the whole scene, which I I've thought was great, was fantastic, was the scene where um, there's all these people in that like little auditorium, you know, and he goes and he's like, and they're cheering him. Like, you know, we were watching like wrestling and it was like watching like a wrestler come up to the ring. Like I was like, Oh buddy, what's up? You know, like give him high fives, whatever. They're all like super excited. I'm kind of exaggerating, but you get what I mean. Um, and they were very, very excited. And he's like having kind of like an, almost like a mini mental breakdown. And, um, is essentially, you know, he's like having this moment where he's really realizing the impact that this bomb had and the scene of like the girl with like the skin like peeling off of her face and she's smiling and laughing and and it was just like very like I I think that was probably one of my favorite parts in the movie because it was just like so impactful, you know, and he's really realizing like oh, shit, this is what we did. This is what we did. And now, you know, and now he's dealing with the consequences of his own actions. Not that he's the only one who's, you know, I mean, there's hundreds of people that were involved in this. So it's not like he's the only one doing this. But he, you know, and then they started um, having the security hearings because he needed to have security clearance. And they're... And that was, that wasn't, that was Lewis. Okay. So Strauss had, he was the one that had like pushed that to happen. Right. Okay. So, um, and he started becoming, or Oppenheimer became a, like a strong proponent of like international control of atomic energy and everything like that. And I think that's where he like humiliated Strauss. Right. Um, Strauss. Strauss. I can't want to say Strauss. It just looks. Well, I want to go back. Cause I, I thought that that, I think that that scene is, is, also really good i agree with you yeah. and i like how earlier in the movie he's sort of being accused uh when they're around that like table with the flowers and strauss is is saying you know like russia just detonated an h-bomb and you had a mole at los alamos and and oppenheimer's sort of starting to feel the like the tides are shifting where and I think that there's a really cool juxtaposition where all you hear is like the stomping noise and you see the feet yeah, stomping, yeah. but you don't really know what it is yet. And so it's like all the people that were praising him the day the bomb was successful are the people who are 
you know, like, now going to turn on him. Yeah. And then in that scene, he, like you said, he's, like, having a mental breakdown, and there's, like, really white flashes, like the flash when the bomb went off, and he's seeing, like, like burned corpses and stuff, and people are, like, they're celebrating as sort of getting skewed to look very maniacal. Yeah. And it's it's as if he is realizing, well, it's not as if it is. He's realizing the weight of everything, like you said, and they're just, like, celebrating the end of this war. Right. And the job right. well done. A job well done without thinking about the, the human cost. Yeah. And I really also like the scene right before that. Because when, so when the trucks were driving away with the bombs, he said to Matt Damon's character, he's like, you're going to keep me informed, right? And Matt Groves. Damon's like, yeah, Groves. And Groves was like, as much as I can. And then nobody calls and nobody calls. And he's sitting in his dining room in the middle of the night. And, and his wife comes up. She's like, what are you doing? It's only the fifth. And he's like, it's the sixth in Japan. And so they're sitting in their, like, really quiet, dark dining room. And maybe halfway across the world, Japan is, you know, like, Hiroshima is on fire, like, melting. You know, and that's, I think that's a really powerful subtext in that scene. And then the next day, Truman's on the radio saying that he dropped the bomb. and, and, And I just, I think that that's... I think it's interesting because Oppenheimer is like almostly, almost immediately feeling the immense weight of what he had a hand in creating and what is what the world is now. And um, I think that's really interesting. And then we should talk about when he goes and sees President Truman. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, so uh, Gary Oldman. <laughs> um, and Truman was so... He was a politician. Yeah, you're right. Very, I mean, yeah. Um, and and he he's like, no, no, no. They're not going to say you dropped the bomb. They're going to say I dropped the bomb. And there was just this, just this like creepy air about him. It's that like this creepy was very unsettling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he was like smiling, but there was nothing really like behind the eyes. And um. I think Gary Oldman, for the, what, like, 10, 15 <laughs> seconds he was on the screen, maybe it was, like, more like two or three minutes, but very short amount of time, he, like, his impact in that role, he was, he was just, like, it was, like, chilling. Yeah. Like, just. I agree. Chilling, and then there's, like, the secretary, what was the secretary of state or whatever that was there. Um, I'm not sure. It was like I his can't lackey. Remember. Yeah. Like the, the president's lackey. Yeah. And the lackey was just like, there was something about him too that I was like, oh, I, really I just don't like, like this whole scene. Sleazy politicians. Yeah. But Oppenheimer said, you know, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And Truman was like, no one cares about you. They only care yeah. about who dropped it. And, yeah. and then when Oppenheimer left, he's like, don't let that cry baby back in here. Ugh, and Truman. yeah, just such a, poli- <laughs> just such a politician. I know. And, uh, I know. It's, there, there's it's a song in Bob's Burgers that I always think when I hear Harry Truman. It's like, here comes Harry Truman. He's dead in the ground. He's dead in the ground. He's dead, dead. <laughs> it's, it's accurate. Yeah. Um, he is so... Okay, I actually wrote, I wrote down Strauss' head was so up his own ass, he was convinced that um, Oppie had said something to Einstein, but we already talked about that. Um so I don't. I want to talk about uh, Kitty's scene in the inquiry. Okay, I really liked that. I thought that was pretty awesome that she just because she kept fight. She kept telling Oppenheimer, she's like, "Fight back, fight yeah. back. Why are you letting them like 
show all of our dirty laundry on the public record? Why are you answering for your whole life? You don't have to answer for your whole life. Fight well, and back. he shook Edward Teller's hand. Yeah, uh-huh. like, and, and she's, she's like, like you shook why the hands? fuck would you shake his yeah. hand? And you know, this guy like, just like is trying to destroy you, you know? And, and she's like, yeah. it's Strauss. You know it's Strauss. It's not this. Cause there's like, so Strauss gave these documents to... Um, a reporter. What's yeah. his name? Like Borden or something? Um, there is a Borden. William Borden. See, there's so many characters. And that it's guy like was hard in the take. Dark Knight, uh, interestingly enough. But um Kate Borden. So but Yeah, Kevin Branner was in Tenet. I didn't I just kinda yeah. like just remember so that. I was like, it, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Borden. So they um they were trying to Strauss was trying to make it look like this journalist just you know got papers from somebody oh and Dane DeHaan Wait, hold on. Was oh yeah, yeah yeah um you know what the guy that played his brother I was like that guy looks so familiar he looks so familiar and um and I got home and I went you he was in the second season of you that's where I remember him from <laughs> I was like and it was like the connection I was like oh, finally um Oh, you know what? I I just have to say, I was, I have to say that I thought, um, I felt bad for Jackie, the the, the wife of Frank, the brother. Oh, yeah. Because she's like, hey, hi, it's so nice to meet you. And he's, and Oppenheimer's just like, no. And it was like, cool. And she's just like, all right, well, fuck you. And I was like, honestly, yeah, no, for real. Um. I have to ask you a question. But wait, so, I was actually oh, yeah, yeah. saying Sorry. something. Okay, go ahead. Do you want, what do you want to say? What do you want to do first? Oh, I want to, I, no, go ahead. Okay. I'll remember. So, so they, they tried to make it look like someone gave these documents to Borden and mm-hmm. Borden printed them and did all this. Wait, who, I'm trying to, that's Strauss. what I was trying to find. Who's Borden? Who's He's Borden the journalist. By? He's played by the guy. He's played by somebody named David Dastmalkian. Was he the schizophrenic in... One of the dark, the dark night. He was, yeah, he was the one that like was at the funeral and they saw him. And yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and he like they said like that he had schizophrenia later. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember him from that role. Yeah. He was a very small part in that, but I remember him. Yeah. And um, so anyway, and uh, Kitty mm-hmm. is like, it's Strauss. It's always been Strauss. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And she, she was gets so pissed. On. And then when she does, <laughs> when it's time for her to like do the question, she's she's running late, and that little the lawyer is like, I don't think she's gonna come. And Oppenheimer, I really like this back and forth in this scene. And Oppenheimer was like, only a fool or an adolescent would presume to know about other people's relationships, and you were neither. She's going to show up. We've been through fire together. And then she shows up and she like totally kicked ass. And I just really, really liked how she did not cower. That guy I, was yeah. like, I, she, he, that guy asked a question about like, he said something like, would you say that the money that Oppenheimer gave to the Spanish Civil War was going to communist channels? And she goes, don't you mean through communist channels? He's like, what? And she's like, I think you mean through communist channels. And then <laughs> I like he that. says something else and she's like, I don't. He said, "Like you're not answering my question." And she's like, "Because I don't like how it's phrased." I know. And, I like that too. And I'm just like, "Oh, Kitty!" Was like, I just really she loved was like, that. "Come back at me and phrase it differently, yeah. and then maybe I'll answer your question." I really, <laughs> I really, really liked that scene. And she was I stubborn she was, and awesome. Yeah, she like really like uh, Emily Blunt is so talented. And she, she is really yeah. turned it up, and and it was it's a really good scene, and so. 
Yeah, and then there's later when she's um, when he's getting the Enrico Fermi award, and um, who is it that tries to shake her hand? And oh she's yeah, just like, it's tell her. No, it's tell her. <laughs> yeah, and tell she her. Just won't yeah, shake she's hand. just like she's just like absolutely yeah. not. And I was like, yeah, no, I mean, I get it. Um, and I, I don't know, I. I yeah, she was she was freaking awesome in that role. I love her. I wanted to ask you. So che- Chevalier, Chevalier or whatever. Chevalier. Chevalier. I the entire movie and maybe I'm like horribly wrong about this, but I kind of was getting a vibe that he was like into Oppenheimer. Like he mm-hmm. like thought he was a babe. Like I the I entire didn't. movie I was like he thinks he's hot. The entire time. Oh, I don't know. I didn't I didn't I, like I really like I I, I don't know what it was, but there's something, just something about the way that he was looking at him that I was like, I think he finds him attractive. Huh. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think it's like the effect of like somebody is important and doing something important. So you want to like stay in their orbit. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel like there was an attraction there. I did feel like he was kind of like. I don't know. There was a vibe I was getting that I felt like the entire time I was like, he wants to bone him. Um, <laughs> well, and then there's there's also that scene with them where um, Oppenheimer brings the child mm-hmm. to him and his wife. Yeah. And they're, like, just totally fine with taking care of this kid for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, who knows how long the kid was with them. And then later, there's, like, I think it was the, the wife's name is Barbara. She was, like, oh, something about adopting him or whatever. Or something. He's so cute yeah, or whatever. They missed him. They came over before they went to Los Alamos. Yeah. They missed the little boy. Yeah, and Kitty goes, you want to adopt him? Yeah. And I was, like she's not joking yeah no she's yeah. <laughs> I was like i was like kitty is 100 percent serious because yeah. there's that scene where oppenheimer comes home and and it's when the kid is a baby and the baby's just crying and crying maybe colicky we don't know like just like i mean ugh. and um and he's like why aren't you going to the baby and she's like why aren't you going to the baby and i was like yeah i'm like you are just as much that child's parent as she is, you know? Like, go and take care yeah, of the baby. take care of your child. And apparently he was like, no, I'll just give it off to another <laughs> couple. <laughs> For <laughs> like, a little while, yeah. There was a, I mean, there was definitely, I don't see them having, I didn't see them having a super happy relationship. I don't, not saying it was necessarily a miserable one, but I don't think that they were ever in love with each yeah, other. Yeah, I don't think it, it was I don't convenient. think it was like the romantic love. I think no, they I don't had think like so a either. mutual respect and some kind of love, but not like the normal, like falling in love sort yeah. of feeling. Yeah, because yeah, there's, I mean, I, I think having a romance in this movie anyway would have been in weird taste just because it's like, that's not what we're yeah. about here. That's not right. what we're going into. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about the death of hundreds of thousands of people. You can't just be like, guess what? Everyone falls in love and they're happy. And the other's like, okay. Well, also, it's <laughs> real life and real life isn't always happy. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I have anything else to talk about. Yeah, I wanted to talk about, there was something I wanted to talk about, and it's just about the craft of the movie, and I really, really thought it was cool when the the bomb went off, mm-hmm. and then we felt like the shock, I was kept waiting and waiting and waiting for the shockwave, and then I sort of let my guard down, and then the shockwave happened, and I thought that was really cool, Yeah, how they did that, and um and I, and I really think they missed an opportunity. I really wanted to see the impact crater that the Trinity test left. Oh, and yeah. And I kept thinking, like, anytime now they're going to show it. They're going to show oh, it. And they never, never showed did. It. And I was yeah. kind of disappointed. I really wanted to see that. And I also really, um, 
what was I going to say? Oh, and I also want to mention at the end, in the moment when, so earlier in the movie, uh, Teller was like, uh, I did these math, these calculations, and if we set off this bomb, it could start a chain reaction that could just destroy the world, basically. So um, Oppenheimer went to Einstein, and they sort of bonded over the fact that neither one of them are good at math, and I'm like, I don't know enough about any of this to know why <laughs> you couldn't be good at math, because I think it's so fascinating that there can be a whole chalkboard full of gibberish, and people look at it for a second and are like, yeah, no, that's good. Like, how do they know? And But know. you're not good at math? Are you, are you kidding me? So For me, um, I'd be like, that just looks like a bunch of pluses, minuses, numbers, and letters, and yeah. I don't know what you want me to do with it, but I don't understand any of it, so please just, like, leave me, like, let me leave this room. I don't want to be near this math problem. It's just too mathy for me. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, and then they find that the, the chances of the chain reaction happening are like near zero and that becomes sort of a little joke a couple times in the movie that I really really liked um and so they're taking bets the night before the the bomb the test and they're like does anybody want to bet or the guys this guy's just like walking around he's like what about the chain reaction bet and later Matt Damon Groves and Oppenheimer are sitting in the there's like a post that's 10 miles away from the test and then they're sitting in that one and, and, and Groves is like, what did he mean about the chain reaction? And, and Oppenheimer said, well, initially there was a few moments when we thought setting off an atomic weapon would cause a chain reaction and destroy the world. And and he's like, but the chances are, are near zero. And uh, Groves is like, near zero? <laughs> and Oppenheimer <laughs> says, well, what do you want on theory alone? And he goes, zero. <laughs> and, and then he says, and then Oppenheimer replies, well, in an hour and 58 minutes, we'll know for sure. <laughs> He's so like, if like, we're not dead by then, we'll fear, be good. New fear unlocked. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, and I exactly. really liked in the test when that, I don't know who he was, but he was, Teller was sitting on, on a chair next to a car and the guy in the car didn't want a welder's glass because he's like, don't worry, the car window Jack, will Jack block Wade, the UV. Yeah, Jack Quaid's yeah. character, yeah. Oh, and, when, uh, in, the, wait, in the movie theater, I was like, that's Meg Ryan and, Jack, and Dennis Quaid's That's who? Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid's son? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I know, yeah. Oh, wow, he, cool. he looks like his dad, but he doesn't really look like his mom. Oh, wow. He's also in the show The Boys with um, oh, uh, Keith okay. Urban. Yeah, so Jack Quaid, yeah, that's, that's uh, Dennis Quaid and... and uh, Meg Ryan's son. And um, I also like how, um, so Rami Malek, Rami Malek had very small parts throughout mm -hmm. the movie. And he was just kind and there's of Josh always Peck. Like, oh yeah, Josh Peck. But I thought that was funny. Rami was like, Malek was just kind of like a pencil pusher. And yeah. he kind of really didn't think anything of it. Oppenheimer barely noticed him. He kind of like, he like accidentally knocked his clipboard out of his hands. And then uh, Rami Malek's character, uh, David Hill, is the one who brought everything to light. Yeah, that Strauss was the one who was orchestrating all of this, and I right. assume that that all happened after Oppenheimer had passed away, or was I, I think he like went out of the country know. for a while? But you know, it, the thing is, um, as I did like this movie a lot as well. I don't know if I said that, but the thing is, that is part of the issue with this film is that it's very convoluted. And I don't think it needed to necessarily be that convoluted. And I understand that there's a lot to tell because it is a big, it's a very large story with a lot of players in it. But um, it's it, telling a nonlinear story is always, there's always going to be a sort of sense of like um, risk with it. 
because you are risking people going, wait, what just happened? You know, and especially with a story that is so big and has so many people in it that it's a very like, I mean, it was hard for me to keep track of people. They'd be like, oh, so-and-so yes. did this. Yeah, and I was like, wait, who's yeah. that again? I'm like, just that, tell me the actor's that name. That whole scene, <laughs> you know? the first time I saw the movie, the whole interaction, the whole moment where Casey Affleck is on the screen in the back and forth, with, I did not get it. I, yeah. I understood it watching it a second time. But I don't know if what What like, happened in that scene again? So basically, Oppenheimer tells on so do you remember that scene in the kitchen where chevalier basically told oppenheimer like if you want to share any information with the russians i know someone who can get them through the proper channels and oppenheimer says to chevalier like that's treason you know yeah so oppenheimer basically gives the name of the person of chevalier's friend who said they could get information to the russians but he didn't want to tell on Chevalier because Chevalier was his friend. Right. So he gave the name of the person who volunteered to go through these Russian channels. And then Casey Affleck's character, who was like the big general over everything, I guess. I'm not totally sure on his role. When they anyway, think he was like a torturer or something? Well, or he was very said, violent they or said something? that he threatened to torture. I can't remember who it was. Um, they threatened to torture. He threatened to torture someone for information and so groves was like you should never interact with this guy this guy you know and and um so anyway oppenheimer was trying to give up that name without giving chevalier's chevalier's name and he managed it for a while and he wouldn't give it to anyone because he was trying to protect him but it just became this like sort of a little bit of a mess and um and then you found out later that groves had casey affleck's character sent to europe so he'd basically get off oppenheimer's back but that whole thing was so lost on me the first time I saw yeah, the Yeah, I mean, it still is kind of lost on um, me, yeah. And seeing it again clarified a lot of it, but there's still little things. Like, there's still plenty. It's such a dense movie yes. that there's still plenty that I'm like, no, nah, I could learn. I could stand to, like... <laughs> yeah, but um, I definitely feel like I could do a rewatch because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that would clarify, like, yeah, as you said, a lot of things. I'd be like, oh, like so I get this time the around. The movie yeah. kind of... And I... I think that this is also a weakness of the movie that it kind of assumes everyone watching it has read the book, I think. Yeah. And that's not good either. But that's not a good And that's like, all that's I've said. I've said that before. You should never assume that your audience knows what you're talking about. Right. You need to spell it out for them. And uh so I think they I think that they did a moderately okay job spelling some things out with characters. Mm-hmm. After I saw it a second time. Uh, I understood more because I was able to retain those little details, but then you get into the like gray area of like, should a movie require a second viewing for you to catch all this stuff? And yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's layered. It's so layered, and and I think it's it's really well done. I think it's a really good movie. Um, that doesn't mean it's so perfect, too. but I I do think. Um, do you think that it's 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 just dense? And you said yeah, convoluted. Yeah. And I think convoluted is is a good word as well, but. I think, I think it would have been less convoluted if it was told in a linear fashion, but because it wasn't, yeah, yeah. that's what made it so much more confusing, you know, mm-hmm. and I understand that they were using like 
Um, like you could tell that it was the future because Oppenheimer's hair was they, shorter or grayer. Color yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And they had like this whole like um, almost kind of black and white scene. It was like a almost like, like a blue tinted black yeah. and white scene. Yeah. Which I liked. I like the colors of it like that. That whatever they did, it was like a blue tint or something. That was nice. Um, but yeah. And I, I get that this is, you know, Nolan's creative license and he's, you know, do what do what you do, Nolan. We're we'll still watch your movies because we're clearly big fans. Um, but there is something to be said about making something less confusing for people who do not know. Like, if y- you have to assume that anyone going into the story has no idea who Oppenheimer even is, you know. And I think taking that mindset and then going to filming and then editing. And creating it that you're going, okay, so we're presenting this. Let's make it less confusing by make it making it linear, you know? But that being said, I do have to say, I don't necessarily, I know I said this, but I don't necessarily think it should be linear because there are like surprises at the end that you're like, oh, fucking shit. Yeah. What? You know, like Strauss being, you know, finding out about him. And then what was the other one? Um um finding out what einstein said you mm-hmm. know so and i i really liked the reveal of what oppenheimer and einstein said cuz you're like the entire movie you're like maybe he's just you know was like oppenheimer's like strauss is a piece of shit I'm like oh, you know and einstein's like but i know you know but that that wasn't the reality um so I kind of like go back and forth, but I, I do think that there needed to be some clarification somehow. Yeah, I think I I I liked I think I liked overall the nonlinear nature of it. I found the scenes with Robert Downey Jr. a lot of the time to be kind of snooze like a little bit snoozeworthy. I didn't really I, care. I don't disagree with so you. I think yeah. some of them could've be could have been cut out and maybe just like boost other ones up to contain whatever important tiny tidbit is in the scene that you cut out. Because I think there was a lot of Robert Downey Jr. that I, I just was kind of like, okay, get me back to Oppenheimer. But yeah. I do think that there is something to be said for making a smart movie. Yeah. I don't think you have to assume that the audience is completely dumb. Like, if nobody knows who Oppenheimer is, they're probably not going to go see the movie. You know what I mean? That's very true. So yeah. I think, I think that I don't mind that he made a smart movie. I do think he could maybe have made it a little bit more user-friendly for the yeah. people who maybe don't know as much of the story but want to see the movie but you don't have to dumb it down totally but you do kind of have to like guide us you know yeah and so i think cutting down some of the scenes that were just kind of like robert Downey jr talking to his aides uh, you know i don't really i don't know if they're necessary and things like that so yeah there is some tweaks that maybe i would maybe would make it a little bit easier to like grasp all the details but there's still just so many things there's just so many things that you have to you have to catch up on when you're watching it but um i do really really like i think the non-linear linear nature lends itself really well to when we finally get to the night of the bomb test as well yeah um i think that the movie just like amps up and i was like my heartbeat was like up yeah and it was oh yeah re- i was ready sure. to go yeah they were like like uh, oppenheimer says to josh peck he's like 
if the charges fall below one, you abort it immediately. And so he's like sweating. He's oh, like yeah. watching Josh it. Is like, the okay. guys show up okay. with like the keys and, and then the guy who like, the, I don't know who the guy was. Um, he was the one who he like went outside because he wanted to get a better view. Like it was really funny when on all the tests he'd be like, everyone duck down. But then he would look. Um, I don't know who what his name was, though. It was. Um, I don't either. It might have been George Kastiak. So anyway, I and Alex Wolf was in it. Yeah, <laughs> Google cuts their name off, and that really bothers me. But oh, anyway, so and he got knocked over by the the impact the yeah the impact when it, yeah. when it went through the um anyway. Well, so, that's why they're all lying on the ground on mattresses because yeah. they knew that yeah they knew that so it was, was going to be just, big yeah. yeah. But I was just like amped up. I was like, let's yeah. do this. Let's go. Let's For go. Sure. And, and it was pretty cool. Really cool build up, and then yeah, at the end, I think it's really interesting. So you get to see what him and Einstein say, and he's like, he's Einstein basically says, you know, eventually they're going to give you an award, and it's going to be more for them than it is for you, you know, because they turned on you basically, but then they're going to give you an award like all is well, and it's not, it's not for you, it's it's for them to feel yeah. good about themselves. And that, and then Oppenheimer said what you, you know you already said that he's like, remember that thing I told you about the chain reaction? I think it's happening, and it's a good ending. I I really like how the movie just ends on his face with the iconic like the hat and everything, you know. Yeah, well, and also I wanted to mention I wrote down, um, they had JF JFK yes. was the was like the, like the what deciding factors to well, why there was Strauss three of them he was one of them but one of the, yeah but then and, and Alden Einrichs who doesn't even have his character's name it's just Senator's aide um, he which is interesting I thought that he didn't have a name because he had a fairly big part like I was like why didn't he have a name mm-hmm. um, but. First of all, I loved I loved that character because he was kind of like take no shit. And then when he like said that thing about Einstein, I was like, oh damn, this boy's got my heart. Love him. Um, and but you know he mentioned that like the reason that Strauss didn't get what he wanted and get on the spot on what well, I can't what is it uh, Some the committee whatever yeah, yeah either way is because one of the people that decided not to was JFK, and it's really. I mean, and then, you know, they kind of like kind of go into talking about the Cold War and how that the essentially like what happened really just rolled into that. And the Cold War wasn't like a physical war, but it was there was still people who were struggling and suffering from it because there were um, there was like the whole McCarthyism thing. And they Trade mentioned embargoes. Yeah. And they yeah. mentioned McCarthy. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's it's. Like, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. But it's great, you know? And I think that especially history buffs out there like me, you're going to really like this movie, you know? Um, so would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely would recommend it. I, I think it's, I think if you really like Christopher Nolan go see it uh if you're interested in the story there's so much that i didn't know go see it killian murphy's performance is really good and it's just it's a lot uh it's long i saw a guy in theater yeah last night there was a guy 
three rows up that was scrolling Facebook on his phone <laughs> during the movie. So yeah, um, that guy was like, I'm not into what's it. What's his name? <laughs> Jake Paul. Jake Paul made headlines because he left because he's like, they're just talking or something. <laughs> so you know, it's not for everyone. But okay, I think it's thanks, I, Jake I Paul. Think it's worth a watch. I, the voice I, of our generation. <laughs> it's one of the few movies that I would say it definitely. Um, you definitely dig out more gold if you see it multiple times. Yes. And that's not always easy uh, because it's it's long and it's only in theaters right now. But I, I think that it's... Um, in the, like Mike and I, when we saw it, we pretty much spent the rest of the evening after we saw it just like looking on Wikipedia and Googling things about all that, that time period. And so it really stuck with us. And I think that was a testament to the quality of the movie that even though... There's a lot of information to digest and a lot that I didn't even know how to digest because I didn't even know what was going on in the first place. But there's still like this common, really powerful thread throughout the whole thing. And, and it really captured our attention. And, you know, and even after seeing it a second time, because I was kind of nervous that I was kind of nervous that how dense it was was going to be difficult to watch it a second time because it's so long. It's three hours long. But it actually was easier to watch. Mm-hmm. Be- yeah, I believe it. Because I was digesting things that I just, like I think I said earlier, like the saturation point for, well, for yeah, information. Yeah, the yeah. first time you see it, I saw it at least, and I, you know. and, and Mine was um, about like maybe two and a half, two hours and 15 minutes before I was like, okay, all right, okay, <laughs> what? Who is, who so, said what? You know, and, and then I was like, and I kept like they were like and Teller and I was like who the fuck is Teller and yeah. you know what I mean and yep. so, so there was definitely a couple of characters where I was like oh, okay what who you know yeah and, so yeah. once you know where the story is going you're able to sort of pick other things out yeah I, I would recommend that. it I, I think it's I think it's it's a really great it's it's really well done um, but how about you I've already recommended it to a bunch of people. <laughs> So, yes, I would say uh, I really liked it. Again, I'm a huge history buff. So anything with history, I'm probably going to like anyway. Um, and this was I did not expect myself to have an emotional reaction. I like that I did, though. I think that made it so much more of a powerful film for me to watch to just suddenly have that reaction where I'm like, this is really hitting me. And it's really like it's it's hurting my soul, you know, to to know just how awful and horrible this impact was. And also and, you know, it's it's just a very I think it's a very human look at people. You know, it's a very you're not no one's ever put on a pedestal. No one's ever like, oh, heralded as like some sort of new, you know, God or whatever. You know, Oppenheimer's not. Oppenheimer was treated just like a person. And I think that is essential. And especially with history, because I think that we have a tendency to do that. And there are certainly people out there who are put on pedestals that should absolutely not be, you know. And I mean, I can think of like five off the top of my head. So... Oh, the robot's focus. <laughs> I get a little robot feeder. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I think it's great. I think it's very well done, and I like it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So, 
I guess I, I had a dream um, that uh, Killian Murphy came on our podcast, <laughs> and it was so exciting. <laughs> that would be amazing! And oh my then god! I woke up. Oh no, dream. Killian! <laughs> I know. Uh, was he speaking in his Irish accent in that, or was he speaking in the Oppenheimer? I think he. I don't even know if he spoke. Honestly, I mean, my brain created an image of him, and I know that we were like it was over Zoom. Mm-hmm. He might have spoke. I can't remember that accurately. <laughs> but, That's funny. Yeah. All right. If you like our podcast, uh, go to iTunes. Please give us five stars. It helps us out. And thank you so much to Mike Myers for our theme music. Yeah, you can find him on Twitter at the Mike Show Forty Two. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Bye bye.